Hello and welcome to This Is Property. You're with John Pigeon. Today, I've got a special guest on the show, Jay Sini. He's going to talk to us about how to build a portfolio. Now, without bragging, he's a humble guy, but he's a master portfolio worth over $3 million. And he's done it just in the last three to four years, which is pretty impressive. I'm going to speak to him today about his journey growing up on the low income that he started on, the order that he bought the properties, what the properties were like, what are they doing today, what the yields are, etc. So without further ado, let's get into it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you so much for having me on, John. Yeah, now a long-time listener of the show, so I appreciate your support. Um, we, we did reach out on the Facebook group to see who had a good story to tell, and, and yours was shortlisted, and you've, uh, you've got many talents. Tell me about those many talents before we get into your uh, property portfolio. Thank you. Yeah, so um, I've always loved learning different things, so that's kind of helped me a lot to sort of develop a lot of the skills uh, that have been useful useful in my life. Uh, but yeah, musician, uh, play play a fair few different instruments. Um, our main thing is video and photography, uh, where we run our business today. I've been doing that for about seven years now. Um, not many people know this, but I can ride a unicycle. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a few things under the belt. And you've got a Bachelor of Education. So you did some teaching for a while there, didn't you? That's right. So yeah, did a Bachelor of Music and then a graduate diploma in education, uh, which was a three-year degree and then a one-year degree. And, um, you know, that was that was quite helpful to sort of bridge the gap from where I was to where I wanted to get to because uh, I understand, you know, you've got to, got to do things which might not necessarily be, be your passion. Um, and, and teaching I always really enjoyed, but it wasn't a passion mm-hmm. uh, for me. But yeah, it was it was all just part of the journey. Yeah. Now I mentioned humble at the top of the show. You failed to to tell the listeners that you're actually a golden guitar winner twice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we've won two golden guitars, which are kind of like the I guess the pinnacle award in Australian country music. Uh, so we got that for our video work um, across across the industry. There was um, I think last year we got nominated for three out of the five music videos uh, for video of the year, and yeah, managed to pick up one with. Uh, Luke O'Shea, who's a fantastic um, musician. He's won, I think, 15 golden guitars himself. So always great working with with Luke O'Shea. And um, yeah, the other one was also with Luke O'Shea and Ashley Dallas for a clip that we did the, the previous year. Nice, well done. Well, uh, the music lovers will uh, will know uh, just how high esteem those uh, those awards are. So let's go back to your journey growing up. Uh, what was your um, I suppose uh, mindset around money was a talk in the family at the dinner table about money, how we're saving money, are we spending it, are we spenders, are we savers? Um, generally, just uh, just give the listeners a, a little bit of a brief on your journey growing up. Absolutely. So I grew up on a farm out in Appen, New South Wales, which is halfway between Campbelltown and Wollongong for anyone that's familiar with the area. 
And, you know, living out on the farm, there's always a, a kind of mentality of more individualism. Uh, you know, if something needs to get fixed, you have to do it yourself. And, uh, you know, there's not anyone for miles around to really do it. So um, I think that was a really, really important pillar for, for my life going forward was that if I wanted something to change, if I wanted to do something, I had to do it myself. Now, my, my parents weren't money oriented at all. Uh, they're very, very kind of free with money. Um, they, they come from a time when things were a lot cheaper, so they avoided debt completely. Uh, so a lot of this uh, journey, I've actually had to learn myself uh, through resources, you know, such as uh, this podcast and and YouTube and things like that, to really change the mindset and do what other people are doing that has achieved fantastic results. So it's interesting, and, and we hear it time and time again. Grew up um, with not much money. Mum and dad weren't investors. They they didn't have a lot to spend on us or or investing in general. Um, but but you had the mindset to have the the well the independence for one. But the, the was it a case of well. Uh, I, I've seen mum and mum and dad skimp and save. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to create some wealth for myself that's going to be far greater than that. Yeah, I mean, they never really like struggled. I, I definitely say I was very a, a middle class up, upbringing. So you know, we were fortunate enough to go on a lot of holidays, given mum's job working for Qantas, which which was great. But. I just knew that I wanted complete freedom. And I think that's one of the things uh, why people invest in property is because of the freedom over time to uh, basically do what you want by building wealth. And I was always really big on that. You know, I've never really liked yeah. being told what to do too much. <laughs> <laughs> Mum and dad would attest to that. <laughs> Absolutely. They sure, they sure did. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward to your first job, you were door knocking for a karate club. That would have been interesting. That's right. Yeah. So all, all through my teenage years, I did uh, karate and taekwondo and I really, really enjoyed that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit older now. I'm like 16, 17. I better start making some money. So I thought, what can I do? Well, I can, I can play gigs. So I did, did play some gigs. Uh, but then during, during the week when there weren't too many gigs to play, I'd go and door knock for a karate club. And that was a very red hot introduction to sales. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> walking up to someone's house and saying, g'day, I'm from the karate club. Yeah, I'm Get sure you've uh, you've got a few negative comments come back the other way. <laughs> Absolutely. Had some guy chase us down the street once just yeah. for knocking on the door, which you know is fair, but um I think it was it was a great job because it was like a back, baptism of fire. Um mm. you know, you get a lot of knockbacks and you really under, start to understand the psychology of why people buy and how people buy. So that job, um although I learned a lot, was was not very successful. You know, some of my <laughs> best days were like 200, $250. Okay. And that were the best days. You know, some days you'd walk away with literally nothing. And I remember days where I wouldn't even have enough money to put fuel in the car to go and try and earn the money. Yeah, absolutely. But um, you learn from the losses, don't you? And, that, and the, the days where you didn't make money, what you what life taught you was maybe resilience and, and the independence, first of all, comes back to it is like, well, I need to earn some money. I'm going to go and do something that maybe I've got a passion for. The whole door knocking, maybe not so much passion, but the, what I'm trying to sell them is, is a passion of mine. Yeah, absolutely. I always, always love karate. I think a lot of people do, do buy on the enthusiasm. Um, but yeah, you know, there, there were absolutely a lot of knockbacks, but thankfully, like due to my upbringing, you know, I'd seen other people do it and uh, been successful with it. So I said, well, if they're doing it, that's something that I can do. Mm, okay. So 
Where did you get to the stage? Like you, you, you said you wanted some wealth creation and you wanted to, to build wealth for choice and, and not being told what to do and work a normal nine to five. Um, obviously, that meant running a business and we'll expand on that, but it also meant growing wealth. Why was property your chosen uh, pathway? Yeah, I think particularly in Australia, uh, property is the best choice of asset class, to be honest. You know, other people have different ideas, but when you factor in all the tax breaks, uh, the fact that you can write up the depreciation of a property, um, you know, the the interest um, all gets taken off against your income, um, plus the capital growth and rental income, there's, there's not any assets really that I'm aware of that have that sort of tax advantage status and can grow at the same rate of property due to the factor of safe leverage. Yeah. Okay. So if we strip it right back, did you did you look at property? Did you look at shares and say, well, I understand property more than shares, or did you did you know all of what you've just mentioned from the outset, or, or was that a okay? I'm buying property because I, I feel I'm more comfortable with it, and I'm finding out this stuff later. Yeah, I think it was definitely a process. It would have been about 25, 26 years old. You know, I think that was probably the point where I finally grew up, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I've got got a, a girlfriend at the time who I'd been with for probably seven years. I thought, well, you know, it's it's really up to me to make sure that I secure the, the future for both of us. And um, that really uh, started changing my mindset. And that's when I started to do a lot of learning about, you know, the share market and, and real estate. And, you know, I, I still have shares to this day, but I found that uh, property was a far superior vehicle, especially being um, under a million dollars in net worth at that time uh, mm. to, to actually get there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what age are we when we're buying our first property and how long did it take you to save that deposit? And, and let's go into detail about what that property was. For sure. So for us, it took took a fair while to get started because, as as we know, deposits for for property are really expensive. And you know, the what they say is true. The first one is absolutely the hardest. So um, I think I was probably twenty six, twenty seven, um, somewhere around around there before I got um, our first property. And I'll, I'll have to, have to mention that also we bought this one together, myself and and Andrea. She worked at KFC from fourteen years old and saved everything that she earned. And uh, saved up uh, roughly seventy grand as as a deposit on her wow. side, and I, I saved up roughly the same. Uh, my my trajectory was a bit different. It was low, 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 and then the business hit, <laughs> yeah. and then it went went straight up. But you know, it, it took a long time. Uh, but then once we got there, it was was the best thing ever. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned off air that you were sort of around sixty to seventy grand a year of income at the time of buying that first property, which for for listeners' benefit is was two thousand and nineteen. So not that long ago. Um, so it, it it goes to show that we don't need to be on two hundred thousand dollars a year to be continuing to save money uh, for that that great deposit. So you've got someone that's working at KFC, and I wouldn't imagine on on greater dollars than yourself, but just really good with their money, and someone that's just on a, again, a standard sort of job that's able to combine their resources and, and, and buy the family home. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally understand that not everyone um, has the facility to to be able to team up with someone to, to buy mm. a property. And 
and all that. But, you know, there are more affordable options. Like our, our first home, I think, was $819,000. We we did um, we bought the land and then we, we constructed a house. But there are still options in Sydney uh, for, say, apartments or, or other different properties a little bit further out where you can get in at a much better rate than that. Yeah, great. And, and that was uh, in Campbelltown in Sydney. And you bought the land, you constructed on it. Was that, that was 2019. So did you get some sort of uh, government benefits as a result of doing that? Or would you, were you before you, ahead of your time when you were doing that? Yeah, so we received nothing uh, from, from the government because our uh, property was worth just above the, the threshold, right. which uh, is very unfortunate for anyone that lives in Sydney, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, you would have got the no stamp duty. At, at that time, based on the the price of the land, yeah, that's right. I remember we um that that was actually one of the big contributing factors in our decision to to buy the land and then build was because of the the stamp duty thing. So, uh, yeah, that certainly helped. Yeah, absolutely. So, total house and land build, uh, total cost eight hundred and nineteen thousand. Today, you reckon it's worth somewhere around one point three. Um, yeah, I think, well, we, we just had it valued by the bank and the banks are obviously pretty conservative with their valuations mm-hmm. and they came in at 1.15, um, but real estate said we'd probably sell for 1.2. Yeah. Okay. Great. So what was the, yeah. And you, you talked a little bit about that just, just then, but did you, did you sit down with Andrea and say, look, are we going to buy our own home to live in? What's our mindset around, um, maybe renting? Do we want to, have that first home and just know that we've got that there. Uh, what what was the decision around buying our first home as opposed to renting and then building a, a portfolio elsewhere? That's right. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly a better financial decision in a lot of cases to rent vest. Um, however, uh, life does get in the way, and and for Andrea and you know myself as well, it was particularly important that we owned our own home. Mm. Uh, we don't really come from a background of renting at all. Um, so that was a really important thing for us to to go out and just buy the home. Um, and then, you know, if we, we had extra cash after that, then, you know, we could build build on top of that. But yeah, we right. really wanted to live together and we wanted to have our own place. So sometimes not always a, a financial decision, but a life decision. And that's a really important point, isn't it, Jay? You'd look at it and say, well, I, I didn't come from a family of, of renters. We owned our own home. That's what I want to do as well. And, and it really does shape people's mindset around that, good, bad or otherwise. I mean, financially, it's worked out well for you, but you you were comfortable in the sense that you wanted to, to live in your own home and that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, always been something that we wanted to do. And for a long time, especially as, as a teenager, you look at the price of housing, even back then, it was it was quite expensive. You'd see properties for like, you know, half a million dollars and think, geez, how am I ever going to do that? But it's only after doing all this learning and understanding the process where it seems a lot more attainable. How was your knowledge base back in 2019? Like, when did you really start to sink your teeth into understanding property? Or, or is it just been the last few years of building an investment portfolio? Yeah, so I'd say probably the year before that we bought our first property. So 2018 roughly was where I started to get a real understanding of how it works. And, you know, we can always, always continue to learn. And I'm still doing that today as much as I can. Because, uh, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. Hey. Uh, so, uh, yeah, roughly 2018 was when things started to click and I understood the process and, you know, I'd make um, some videos kind of uh, talking about it because that really helped me to understand the process better because if you can explain it to, to someone else, then it means you kind of truly understand it. Yeah, very good. And 
just quickly before we take a break and then expand on your investment journey, you're running a business before buying that first home. So how was lending at that time? We've got um, both incomes under 100K and, and one being a business owner, which is sometimes a little bit trickier, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. You know, I think banks get scared when they, they see the words self-employed, yeah. <laughs> which uh, which did present a few more challenges than than I think most people do because just get yourself a couple of pay slips and, you know, your notice of assessment and off you go. But with a business owner, it's, it's very different. So mm. uh, because my business had grown quite quickly, uh, one of my tax returns wasn't so good, uh, but my most recent one was was pretty strong. So we had a mortgage broker who understood all the intricacies of that and how you can isolate one year's tax returns for self-employed people rather than working off both and then the bank sort of averaging it out. So it was very important that we got a mortgage broker that had sort of an understanding of that and really helped us through the process to, yeah. to show us how much we could borrow and uh, how we could do it. Yeah, business trending in the right direction, but also uh, having a really good mortgage broker in your corner, which is a, was a great piece of advice. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to sink our teeth into the four or three subsequent properties that you've purchased since buying your principal place of residence. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, so whilst under construction, we didn't want to rest on our laurels. We, we said, okay, we want to continue to build some wealth and we started to build our portfolio. So we went and bought a property in Queensland in 2020. So our building was still not complete that we were going to move into. Uh, some would call that risky. <laughs> yes, it certainly would. Um, thankfully, over the years, I uh, obviously spent a lot of time learning. So I had a bit more of an understanding of what was going to happen uh, with the economy as you know they started printing more money and money always ends up in assets when they, they print money. So I thought this is probably a good opportunity um, for us to take advantage of buying an investment property before this really, really takes off. So it would have been right in the middle of COVID, however, 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, um, you know, there's a great saying from Warren Buffett, uh, which is be greedy when others are fearful and fearful yes. <laughs> when others are greedy. And when the world was freaking out and everyone was panicking um, down at the grocery store, I was just watching this like losing my brain going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. But I thought this is the time uh, that, that, you know, people like Warren Buffett speak about. Mm. And that's a really pivotal moment for you. I don't know if you feel that it was or it wasn't, but I look at your portfolio and say, well, if Jay sat back and did nothing because he's fearful of what COVID's doing and, and the fact that, yeah, we want to get our house built first and, and blah, 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 I don't think you'd be in the position you are today. Is that fair to say? I totally agree. Yeah, that that property in particular has performed exceptionally well, um, along with our primary place of residence. So there was certainly an element of timing um, to that. You know, people say, you know, it's time in the market, but you can't time the market. Well, yes, <laughs> absolutely, because yeah. we can't predict the future. But our timing for those two properties was pretty much perfect. Very good. Um, but of course, it's over the long term, that's not really going to matter too much. But in the short term, it's it's absolutely helped us to be able to uh, continue growing that portfolio by buying at the right time and getting that equity built in very fast. Yeah, propel it forward. Yeah, so we bought in Thornlands. So for those who aren't familiar, that's in Brisbane in Queensland. Yeah, so it's about 30, 40 minutes uh, towards the, the coast in Brisbane. Yeah, and a, and a good suburb. So you purchased for five hundred and forty nine thousand. Um, did we use equity from Campbelltown at that stage? Uh, no, not at this stage. So thankfully, the business had grown uh, pretty dramatically, and at that point, our expenses were pretty low. So I could focus entirely on just you know collecting cash as a deposit. And being up in in Queensland at the time, <laughs> they were a, a lot cheaper uh, than than they were today. So for us to put together you know sixty thousand in in a short space of time was pretty achievable because I'd also been investing in the the share market and whatnot at that time. So I could draw on that to reinvest. Okay, so ten percent deposit. Paid some LMI, and yep. then then loaned the remainder. Okay, so and we'll talk to your yields later on. And one thing that struck me when you sent through your brief was the was the yield that you've got on your overall portfolio. But what was your approach with this? Was it okay? Queensland's going to go because every second person's moving there, or I don't know. The Olympics are coming. Why was it Thornlands in particular, and and what type of dwelling was it? For sure. So we worked with a, a buyer's agency uh, for that particular property, which I think has been pretty important because you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, and being still relatively new at the time to, to property, it's really difficult to understand some of the, the things that create momentum uh, in the property market in particular areas. Because, you know, we talk about property as if it's this one big thing, but, you know, as we know, it's, it's not, you know, it's down at an individual market level. So, one of the things that was really important was the government infrastructure that was going into the area. What's the population growth look like? What's the demographics of people? What kind of jobs are these people doing when they move to this area? So there are all these things that have been collated and put basically into um, a big report, which is like a 12-page report from the buyer's agency. And you know, we, we knew a little bit, but everything that was written made, made sense. And um, over the last couple of years, that's uh, certainly performed incredibly well, which we're very thankful for. Yeah. So is that a, a three-bedroom house on, on good-sized land? So just give me the quick brief yeah, on that. Yeah. So I believe the land is roughly 350. Um, yeah. yeah. And the uh, the house is a four-bed, two-bath house. Okay. New, old? 
brand new. So this one uh, was a uh, a new build. So all of ours have been new builds. And I know a lot of people kind of have, have a negative connotation of them because they think, oh, well, you know, it's just people trying to sell, trying mm. to sell new developments and stuff. And I can uh, totally understand that. However, the growth from all of our new builds has been phenomenal. And on top of that, you know, you also have the ethical issues around, you know, bringing new, new supply to market for people, which is, yes. is good. Um, and yeah, a few, few other things as well. Like I can also write off the depreciation um, a lot quicker off a new build than something that's a bit older. So that was very helpful considering that my income was growing pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've stuck it to those who think that new builds don't work, and you pay over overpay for things, and it's uh, it's all a big racket. Um, that you're living proof that that's not the case, especially when you've got all your investment properties are brand new builds, and and the performance of them have all been solid, which we'll we'll go into. So you had a bit of a break there, and call it just normal people do that from time to time or, or uh, maybe life got in the way. But uh, you, you, you waited two years and then you said, well, I've got some catch up here, so I'll go and buy two properties. Um, are we using, did we use equity or did we use cash as a deposit for these? That's right. So yes, one was completely equity. So that was the one that we bought in Monopara in South Australia. Um, and then the other property was, um, I think, half equity and half savings that we built up over the time. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, COVID was a, a challenging time mm. uh, for, for a lot of businesses, particularly mine, like being in the media industry and entertainment industry. Whenever there's any kind of issues, it's always the first thing to go. So, you know, we, we found ways to, to make it through and still maintain a pretty, pretty strong income, um, but it's certainly not what it could have been. Um, but yeah, we, we were able to sit on those properties that we had for a couple of years and generate a, quite a great deal of equity over those, those years. And then we could pull that out and then apply that to additional properties and then go again. Yeah, great. So we bought in Manapara in South Australia and Adelaide for 407000 and we bought in Springfield Lakes, which is south of Brisbane, for 479000 was, was that using the same buyer's agent or was that separate again? Uh, so this was the buyer's agent that we worked with on the first property, but he'd actually left that company and he'd gone uh, to work with a different company. And right. the results that we got from him the first time were fantastic. So we we thought it'd be great to to work with him again. And you know, one in particular out of those two, he absolutely nailed, uh, which mm. was the the South Australia one. Um, yeah, in Monopara, which has been one of the far, one of the fastest growing suburbs in South Australia um, over the last year or two, which has been pre- pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So just, just to give everyone a, a view of what the portfolio has done now, we've got Campbelltown bought for 819, value roughly 1.3. We've got Thornlands bought for 549, value 850. Springfield Lakes 479, now worth about 530. And we've got Manapara bought for 407, now worth roughly around 550. Okay. Which is great results or, or very. You look at all of those properties and say, well, they've done their thing. They've got results in a, in a short time frame, which sometimes we don't expect because, as you mentioned before, we're in it for the long game. But it's really propelled your portfolio to a position where your, your loan-to-value ratio is, is really sold. We've got a portfolio worth over 3 mil and our debt is around about 1.8. So it's about 1.2 of, of equity, give or take there, that not all usable, but it's there to propel you going forward. Um, and we'll talk about what forward 
forward looks like for you in a moment. Uh, you, you must be pretty happy and, and proud of those results so far. Yeah, it's it's been really great because I think it certainly provides a level of security, which kind of sounds ironic because people think, oh, you know, I take out all this debt and, you know, I have to pay all this back and it can be quite, quite risky. Well, I actually think the opposite now that it's built up all this equity. You know, I have the facility to basically pay off our primary place of residence tomorrow and we're we're pretty much debt free. Yeah. Um so in in some respects it's actually provided more security by going into debt and using this effectively to to grow our portfolio. So, you know, having that that peace of mind that, you know, it'd have to be something pretty traumatic happens to the Australian mm. economy to yes. to end up in a place where we'd be in serious trouble. Um, you know, it's it's good. It just provides a lot more peace of mind which allows us to uh, in, enjoy our lives and, you know, have a bit more freedom. Totally. Yeah. Going into it, obviously yeah, capital growth is the main driver for most people and that's what creates the real wealth. How much of a focus was actually on the cash flow or the yields of the property? Because when we look at all of those properties, you've got Thornland's on purchase price has a yield currently of about 5.5% gross. Springfield Lakes is around 5.2 on purchase price and Manopara is a massive 6.4% gross yield. So was that a focus just as much as the growth or was just that, oh, wow, this is renting well because it's new? Yeah, it was absolutely a massive focus to make sure that the yields were strong. And a lot of people, I've seen videos out there and people say, you know, you can either get capital growth or you can get yield. Those are your only choices. But Mm. I totally disagree. Uh, And the reason I disagree is because you just have to work a little bit harder to find those areas that can support both. Um, You know, obviously, if you go out to a place like Mount Isa, you're going to get insane yields, but the growth is going to be terrible. Uh, Whereas if you buy, say, in Vaucluse, in Sydney, (laughs) the the growth is just going to be phenomenal, but the yields are terrible. And I knew that there was going to be a balance there. And given that interest rates were so low at the time, I knew that they were only going to go one way and that was that was up. So I thought it was very important that we found properties that were not only going to uh, grow but also had a yield that was so strong that they would support an increase uh, in the cash rate with not too much uh, difficulty. And that's allowed us to keep hold of this portfolio. If we'd done all of this in Sydney and we'd bought all of them there with like a 2%, 3% yield, whatever it may be, we'd be in a, a much more challenging situation. But the trick to be able to continue to grow, I think, in, in property is to make sure that those those yields are strong. Because if you're constantly putting your income into these properties, the banks are going to look at that and say, oh, well, hang on a sec, we're not going to be able to lend you as much money. Whereas if they're supporting themselves and then some in, in a lot of cases, then the banks are a little bit more open to continuing to uh, let you borrow money. Totally, totally agree. So you mentioned before you could you could wipe your mortgage tomorrow if you sold down these properties. By the sounds of it, we're not going to be doing that anytime soon. So the mortgage is manageable. Uh, what's happening with Jay and his family going forward? Have it, have you started a family first and foremost? And what's happening on the property front? Yeah, so at the moment it's uh, Andrew and I. Uh, we just practice a lot, and that's that goes pretty well. <laughs> but, um, On the guitar, or, like no. Nah. <laughs> oh, well, you never know. <laughs> Leave that to people's imagination. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, on the on the property front, um, you know, I'm uh, constantly doing my research and building up a little bit more of a buffer. I think as far as interest rates go, we're probably done at this point. 
um, and they'll continue to trend down over the coming years. Probably not anytime soon, but in the meantime, I'll be stacking cash. Um, and then when when possible, uh, we'll be drawing out more equity, which is the process that we're kind of going through at the moment. And uh, my strategy, I think, will be changing going forward now that I have four uh, properties that really grow uh, quite quite well. We'll be moving to more of a yield uh, type, type arrangement. So I'll be looking into things like, say, commercial property or a block of units so that can continue to support the portfolio and also allow us to continue to grow over time. And of course, when things get a little bit more challenging with serviceability as, as they have after having having four properties. And um, we also have to look at other vehicles for uh, purchasing property in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. So units, block of units, high cash flow, maybe higher outlay, but we uh, we get that return through yield and, and hopefully some growth there as well. What about your commercial knowledge? Is that something that you would outsource or do you have a real interest and passion for commercial? Yeah, I think commercial is a really interesting one. Coming from like a business background myself, um, I do understand a lot of the drivers of why uh, certain commercial properties are needed. Mm. Um, so for that reason, I'd probably be avoiding offices and, and things like that. But uh, things like warehousing, on the other hand, are quite attractive uh, to me, particularly because you know as the population con- continues to grow at a massive rate, population needs goods and mm. you know they've got to, got to come from somewhere and a lot of those places are, are warehousing so there's still a lot I have to learn about commercial and um, I'll continue to work through that over the next year and then I do that in consultation with an expert in the field. Yeah nice love it. It's very clear to see that you, you mentioned that word independence right from the word go growing up in the country I think that's been the the catalyst for for everything that you've done going forwards. But you really have a tremendous mindset around taking action and 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 not sitting on the fence and just educating yourself. And it's really it's really shone through in your portfolio. And and you've obviously had good people in your corner that's helped you acquire these properties. But you've you've got to have that mindset and the ability to to take action in the first place, don't you? Yeah, absolutely critical. But I, I really have my parents to thank a lot for that. You know, the the values that they sort of instilled in me, although they weren't like investing kind of folks, those those values of hard work and if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, um, really helped me to to grow this portfolio because I think one of the biggest things that stop people is just the the lack of action. They think, oh, it's all too hard. You know, where am I going to start? What am I going to do? I don't know anything. Well, you know, once upon a time, I didn't know anything about it either. Uh, yeah. But you just take that time to, to work through and take it step by step. If you can chunk it down enough, then you can learn the entire thing. Yeah, well done, Jay. Look, uh, a portfolio of over $3 million, it puts you in the top 1% or 2% of, of Australia in, in the property space. So so well done. I'm sure you're proud of that. Not Maybe not as much as the Golden Guitars, but uh, close second. Um, but what's your piece of advice for, for everyone listening here saying, okay, I've got a great mindset. I really want to grow a portfolio. I'm being told it's not right, like it's not possible anymore. Those days are gone. What's your advice? for those people? Yeah, well, it's it's certainly possible. Now, in my business, um, I have a guy who, who works for me full time and him and his missus have just bought a property in Sydney for over $900,000, just the two of them at 22. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, so it, it's certainly possible, but I think the real barrier is education. Mm. So we live in a world where we have the internet and everything is for free. 
You know, you, you can go and pay like thousands of dollars for courses, but you don't need to because mm. all of the great information is online. You know, a lot of my knowledge actually came from uh, YouTube. People like, say, Graham Stephan and his YouTube channel um, and a few few other channels as well have been incredibly helpful to understand the basics. And while the US and Australia are different in some ways, in a lot of ways, they're quite similar. Yeah. Um, so I think that actually helps you a lot to take sources from different parts of the globe because then you can see what people are doing overseas and how that's the same or different. And all of the things that sort of line up across the world are probably the place that you want to go. Yeah, no, I love it. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show here today. Uh, hopefully for our listeners, uh, some inspiration has been drawn from Jay's story, understanding that it is possible where there's a will, there's a way. Don't have to be on massive income to, to start out with. You've just got to have a great mindset. And as Jay said, you've got to educate yourself well. If you're a first-time listener, please go and hit the subscribe button and get these podcasts in your, uh, in your inbox every week. Um, if you like what you heard today, please go and share it with a family member or a friend that may you may think will benefit from this. But uh, yeah, Jay, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Until next time, take care. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to this podcast. It's time to get the property you want. If buying your first home or investing in property is something you're interested in, check out John Pigeon's book, Sort Your Property Out and Build Your Future. John covers the essentials like how to find hotspots and not spots, due diligence, mortgages, tax stuff, grants and schemes, and how to set up your investing timeline. It's the only book you'll need about buying and investing in property. Visit sortyourpropertyout.com to grab your copy. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 